Hey everyone, welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin, and on the pod today, we're really excited to have Lauren Baer, an attorney and foreign policy expert who's now running for Congress in Florida's 18th District. Hey Lauren, thanks so much for coming on the pod today. Hey Nathan, thanks so much for having me. So let's dive right in. Um, you've already had quite the career. You've worked for two secretaries of state, both Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. Then you went on to work for UN Ambassador Samantha Power, and now you're running for Congress. Can you talk a little bit about what it is that drives you to public service and what it is about this election cycle that made you decide to run? Certainly. And, you know, I should start, Nathan, by saying that this isn't really anything I ever imagined myself doing. Uh, as you mentioned, if you, you look at the course of my career, I'm very much a, a policy person, but not a politics person. But like so many people, I was profoundly affected by the election that happened uh, in 2016. And even more so because two weeks before that election, my wife and I had welcomed a baby girl. And I just remember that two week period between October 22nd and November 8th. And we were so excited about the world that our daughter was going to be born into, the fact that she would know no limits to her aspirations. And then I remember just the absolute devastation of the morning of November 9th. But for me, that very quickly turned from, from devastation to motivation. And I thought, what is my obligation to create the kind of world that I want my daughter to live in? And interestingly, I found the answer to that from another woman in my life, my mom, uh, Nancy, who's an incredible person. And she happens to also be a person who's been chronically ill for more than 20 years. And last May, around the Affordable Care Act repeal vote, she picked up the phone, called her local congressperson, and explained to him what repeal would mean to her. Said, you know, I've got multiple pre-existing conditions, I'm too young for Medicare, and if there were still lifetime or annual caps on coverage, I'd be totally uninsurable. And he listened to her and voted the next day to repeal. And for me, that was the if not now when, if not me who kind of moment, because uh, I realized it, it wasn't just about my mother and my daughter. It was about every other mother, father, son, daughter in my district, 74,000 people in my district would have lost health care uh, because of that vote that our congressperson took. And as I went around and spoke to people in district, I just realized that the basic things I wanted for my family were, were pretty much what everyone wants for their family. Quality, affordable health care, good public education, strong economy that grows and expands the middle class, clean environment, common sense gun safety measures, and a, a sensible foreign policy where we don't feel like we're starting a war uh, with our president on tweets. So uh, that's kind of what brought me to the point I am right now where I'm uh, running for Congress. Diving into some of those issues that you mentioned, um, quality, affordable health care, common sense, gun safety, providing children with the first rate public education. Can you elaborate on some of the specific policies that you would like to see enacted to eventually achieve those goals? Well, certainly. And I mean, I, I think the first thing that I would say as a, as a kind of framing mechanism 
is that I feel like in our politics these days, it's, it's become very divisive. And on both sides of the aisle, there's so many people who are just interested in, in hearing themselves speak. They're interested in their 15 minutes of, fit, of fame on, on Twitter or Facebook Live, but no longer interested in, in the business of, of legislating. And I'm the kind of person who just fundamentally believes that, that Congress can work if we send the right kind of people. Uh, top of my mind right now is really the the issue of, of common sense gun safety reform uh, the incident in Parkland is is just about an hour south of, of my district and right before I was talking to you tonight I was at a vigil uh, in Stewart where people in my community were standing up and saying enough is enough there are things that all Americans agree on we agree on universal background checks we agree on closing the uh, the gun show loophole. We agree that, that people who have mental illnesses and criminals shouldn't be able to get their hands on, on weapons and that it's about time that we get military style assault weapons off the street. So, uh, you know, those are just a few of the things that, that I would push for on what's a very salient issue in, in my district now, but I'm happy to talk through any of the other things as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious to hear more. Um, you know, I think when we when we look at the the gun safety issue, I mean it's definitely top of mind. But even going to um, the affordable health care debate, um, a lot of Democrats are pushing a single payer system or Medicare for all. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your plans would be for affordable health care? Yeah, I mean, on healthcare, first and foremost, uh, I think it's important to say that I, I think healthcare is a, f a fundamental human right, and I, I think every American deserves a quality, affordable health care that we need to make sure that individuals are not only getting care in crisis situations, but they have quality preventative care as well. And we have a law on the books right now, the Affordable Care Act, and the Trump administration and Republicans in Congress seem to be just intent on uh, dismantling that limb by limb. I mean, it's kind of like if you had a car and you slashed the tires of it and then you, you complained that the car didn't run. Um, I feel like that's what's going on with the Republican Congress. We've seen them repeal the individual mandate through their, their tax plan. I know that that alone is going to likely cause 31,400 people in my district to lose health care. So my first priority would be uh, looking to ensure that we're shoring up the Affordable Care Act, that we are stabilizing insurance markets, uh, because if, if we don't do that, costs are going to continue to spiral out of control. There are other improvements that, that we can make to increase uh, quality uh, of care, which includes sort of starting to think about moving away for, from a fee-for-service model. And, and you know, then when it comes to other pieces uh, of innovative legislation, um, I'm really open to considering all proposals. I, I think there's some really interesting ones on the table right now that would allow individuals and employers, for example, to buy into Medicare. Uh, that's a nice transition mechanism from the system that we have at the moment where uh, most people rely on private insurers. Transitioning a little bit to, to think about um, civil rights and, and LGBTQ yeah. issues, um, if elected, you would be the first LGBTQ woman in Congress from the Florida delegation. 
Can you talk a little bit about how you would work in Congress to protect the LGBTQ community and, and maybe even how you hope to inspire the next generation of LGBTQ leaders? Certainly. Um, being a, a role model uh, for, for the next generation of LGBTQ leaders is something that's in incredibly important to me. Uh, there are very few uh, LGBTQ members of Congress right now, and, and there's still so many LGBTQ youth around the country who are marginalized, who live in fear. And it was important for me in standing up and running for office to say, you know, we have voices, we, we can be heard and you can do anything in your life that you want to do. And it's been absolutely incredible to me that I've had people reach out to me from, from all over the country just to say how much it's meant to them um, that I've been able to stand up as a representative of this community. When I think about my agenda, though, um, it's not one just of uh, LGBTQ rights. It's, it's really one of equal rights and equal opportunity for every American, regardless of race, religion, creed, regardless of the color of their skin, where they're from, or yes, who they, they love. Um, I, I think we really need to get back to uh, that, a point where Congress is working to provide liberty and justice for, for all of us, uh, and especially those communities uh, that, that are marginalized. So I'm really quite curious to hear more about your experience working with high-powered politicos like John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, Samantha Power. Um, could you share with our listeners maybe some of the biggest lessons you might have learned while working with these people? Certainly. Um, it was really the, the honor and, and privilege of my lifetime to work in the Obama administration and to work with just such a, a dedicated group of, of professionals, because that's really what they were. Individuals who, who went to work every day and said, what's the good that, that I can do in the world? And who looked at foreign policy, not just as a display uh, of military might, but really a mechanism to project the best of American values all over the world. I, I think what I learned from each of these leaders uh, is that there is no no fight that's that's not worth fighting. There is no challenge um, that is too difficult to, to tackle. It's very easy in, in the world of, of foreign affairs sometimes to, to throw your hands up and say, the problem is too complicated. Uh, there's nothing we can, we can possibly do and tend to try to retreat. And I worked for three leaders who were each fearless in their own ways and said that our country is built on our moral leadership. And when there are challenges, when there are tough problems, we, we face them head on and we try to do good in the world. And whatever the the issue is, whether it's aiding refugees globally or advancing the rights of LGBT persons around the world or protecting the rights of religious minorities, um, we will tackle that issue and we will try because that's what our country stands for. Would you be able to share any stories or anecdotes of what these people are like when the cameras aren't rolling? I mean, I know it's a very... Uh 
high-powered position, and they're, they're, they're always working, trying to, to accomplish uh, their agenda. But what's it like in between those moments? You know, in between those moments, uh, each of these individuals is is just a person like you or me. John Kerry has a golden retriever named Ben, who used to come to work with him and would ride his his private elevator. And sometimes you'd go down the hallway where the Secretary of State's office was. They call it Mahogany Row, and you'd get greeted uh, by a big sloppy uh, dog kiss. And uh, that was a you know it was a great thing, and certainly put smiles on the faces of everyone who was at work. Samantha Power was was such a role model to me being a working mom. She had two young kids and every day she ensured that she dropped her kids off at school before she came to the office. And, wow. and that was really a model to me of the kind of, of working mom that I want to be. And Hillary Clinton was was quite simply the, the smartest person that, that I ever worked for, I would watch her just speak with such fluidity about such a range uh, of policy issues. And she brought not just a, a mastery of the facts, but a deep, deep caring uh, for people all around the world, particularly the plight of, of women and girls. And so I, I think for each of the people that I worked for, I, I came away um, with wonderful memories, not only of what they did as policy leaders, but who they were as people. It's always so interesting from the outside looking in, all you really see are those moments on camera at a press conference or the news highlights or a quick soundbite here and there. Um, but it's, it's really interesting to get insights into their lives. Um, thinking about your work in foreign policy, and the stark contrast to how the Trump administration has carried on, I guess, with the work that the Obama administration um, has done. I'm curious your take on how the Trump administration is approaching the conflict in Syria, the Iran nuclear deal, um, and even the, the heated rhetoric with North Korea. Well, I, I think the, the common thread running through all of the complex problems that you just mentioned there is the, the Trump administration's belief um, that the United States can simply impose its will on countries around the world and that if Donald Trump calls enough names, if he tweets uh, frequently enough or, or with enough strength um, that everyone else will just fall in line and, and bend to his whim. And, and that's not really how international affairs works. We've been able to keep the world safe and secure uh, since World War II because of the important work of international organizations, because of the critical alliances that we keep around the world, things like NATO. And, uh, you know, my main concern with the policies of the Trump administration is that it's driven by hubris and, and a go-it-alone attitude. And what we're finding is, is not that that countries are are following uh, our lead, um, but that they're they're pushing back against what we're doing, and that other countries, uh, dangerous foes, are stepping into to the leadership void. 
So you mentioned NATO and the importance of, of having that organization in place and, and having it be effective. I'm curious with Bob Bowler's investigation getting more and more underway, we're seeing more and more indictments come out. Um, as a member of Congress, what would be your strategy for protecting our election infrastructure and at the same time checking Vladimir Putin and Russia to ensure that the cyber espionage campaign that they're waging ultimately is unsuccessful? Well, you know, I, I think the first step in, in keeping Rush, Russian election interference in check and, and frankly, interference from any foreign adversary who would seek to do what Russia is doing is to show that when we know that things have happened, that, that we as a country take action. Uh, I think it's incredibly dangerous at the moment um, that we have had the universal consensus of all of our intelligence agencies, the Mueller investigation as well, that there was in fact Russian meddling in the 2016 elections and that our president's approach has seemed to be to deny uh, that this has ever taken place and to ignore uh, what's happened. Uh, it's Congress's fundamental responsibility to safeguard American democracy. And, and that starts with safeguarding the vote. Uh, we need to be thinking about sanctions uh, against Russia and anyone else who would meddle in our elections. And we need to make sure uh, that when we're in creating sanctions, that they're, they're being enforced by the administration. That, that's where it's got to start. Does Congress have a mechanism to ensure that sanctions after they are passed by the legislative branch, that they are actually enforced by the executive branch? Well, unfortunately, uh, with the, uh, the, the division of, of powers, um, Congress's hands can be somewhat tied. And I think then, you know, it, it becomes the responsibility of the American people to, to stand up and say, uh, enough is enough with, with this administration. Um, we have voted people into office who are taking sensible action to, to safeguard our democracy. And it's the responsibility of the President of the United States who took an oath to, to faithfully uh, defend uh, the Constitution and the United States of America to, to do something about that. Um, that it, it's, it's high time we put partisan politics and his own personal concerns uh, aside and really think about safeguarding our democracy here. So transitioning a little bit to some endorsements that you've gotten, you're listed as a candidate to watch by the new Dem PAC, and you've got the Victory Funds endorsement. Can you tell our listeners a bit about these organizations and what their endorsements represent? Certainly. Uh, so, you know, I have an endorsement uh, from, from Victory Fund. I also have an endorsement from a Quality PAC and LPAC. Um, these are all LGBT organizations uh, that think that uh, basically when Congress reflects the diversity of America, we, we all benefit. And I am incredibly proud to, to have those endorsements because it means that they know I'm the kind of person who would go to Congress and and fight for the equality of, of all people. Now, when, when it comes to New Dems, uh, what they stand for uh, on a basic level is a belief that, that bipartisanship can still work, 
that we can find uh, common sense solutions to our problems, that there is more uh, that, that unites us uh, than, than divides us. And again, it's, it's an honor for me to be uh, endorsed by or I guess I'm on their watch list now, it's not an official endorsement yet, but to have the backing of a group who, who really believes that, that Congress can still get things done. And last but not least for our listeners out there, how can people learn more about you? How can they get involved in your campaign? And how can they stay up to, up to date with what you're doing? Well, thanks for asking that. Uh, we love people to learn more and, and get involved. You can follow me on Twitter at Lauren Bear. You can find me on Facebook at Lauren Bear for Congress. And our website is www.laurenbearforcongress.com. Uh, there are wonderful ways that people can get involved wherever they are in the country. There are ways that you can volunteer remotely. And I, you know, I think if we've learned one thing uh, this year, it's that it's important that everyone is engaged. It's important that we all remain vigilant in protecting our democracy. And it's important that each and every one of us uh, come November uh, gets out and votes because that's how we're going to have change in our country. So thank you so much, Nathan. Thank you, Lauren. We're, we're so glad that we were able to connect and have you on. And we hope to have you on many more times in the future. I would absolutely love that. I hope this is just the first of many conversations. Agreed. Agreed. Again, thank you everyone for listening. My name is Nathan Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan H. Rubin. Uh, check out our website at millennialpolitics.co. Subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at Millen Politics. Thanks everyone for listening.